thing I want to look at just this morning is that about David and his heart. And it's another thing that can really test our hearts and that we need to be mindful of and be on the guard with. And that's to do with money. Wow, you did not see that coming. <laughs> I didn't see it coming either. I didn't know I'd preach on this this morning. But let me say, start off with a story. There was once this, uh, this lady in a, in a local church, and she was really, really poor and really struggling financially. And uh, what happened is she couldn't pay her bills anymore. She didn't have enough food on the table. And the community, the church community knew about this. So one day she was, she was at home, and what had happened is everyone knew she didn't have a job, and she was pretty much always at home, didn't have transport, didn't have money to go anywhere, and she was uh, holed up in her house. And the community had taken a big offering for her, as well as compiled a big uh, package of groceries and stuff. And what happened is the they designated the community leader to go and visit her, and he rocked up at her house and knocked on the door. She wasn't answering her phone, and he was knocking, knocking, and he was shouting out, Isabella, Isabella, are you in there? I know, we know you're in there. Are you there? Well, there was no answer. There was no answer, and she knocked, and they, he knocked, and he knocked, and he knocked, shouted out her name, and eventually, you know, left with everything. And at the church meeting on Sunday, he went up to Isabella and said, Isabella, man, you know, we looked for you, like we were at your house, and uh, you knocked on the door, and you went there. She said, oh, what day was that? He said, no, it was Thursday morning at like 10 o'clock. She said, yeah, no, I was there. He, he said, and? She said, no, I actually, I actually heard, I heard this knocking and stuff, but I covered my ears because I thought it was the landlord looking for his rent. So listen to me this morning. I'm not coming for your money. Come here to give you something. All right, we're not going to take up another special offering. There's going to be no, off well, actually, I don't know. Maybe there will be offerings this morning. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, good. There's going to be no tithes. Or you, maybe you do need, when do you take up tithes in this congregation? Okay, you need to take tithes, okay? But I'm not actually preaching this because you're going to take up tithes, okay? So there might be tithes baskets going around, but it's not, this message is not for that, Okay. This message is not actually for your money. It's, it's for you. It's for you. It's for your heart. And we see David as this man who was a shepherd. who had like nothing. He was a shepherd boy. But when God anointed him as king, I mean, that's like, and then eventually when he becomes king. In fact, it's interesting when David goes to find out who, you know, what will be done for this man, Goliath. The guys say, well, whoever kills this guy will be given great riches by the king. And actually, will be exempt from taxes for the rest of their lives. David's like, okay, I'll take him out. <laughs> but what's interesting is David becomes king. Obviously, he comes into a whole world of wealth. And in that wealth, David actually writes in Psalm 62, verse 10, he says, If your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. And we see that he was a man that most definitely had experienced very little through to having everything, having a whole kingdom, and actually being able to bring masses, masses of, of materials in order to build the Lord's temple, temple in his life. He, in fact, um, he was certainly a man who understood that, listen here, I need to give from God out of my resource. And this is so important that we get this right. There's one particular uh, incident in David's life where he was paying 
like a consequence for his sin where God had said, no census. I don't want you to take a census of my people. And David disobeyed God, took a census, and God said, there will now be like some judgments meted out upon your life. You know, the first will be three years of famine. You've got three choices, three years of famine, three months of pursuit by your enemies where they'll overrun you, or three days of, of the Lord coming against you. And David says, I pick God coming against me because God is more merciful than man. Like, he just knew God's heart. He's like, okay, God's, who of us would be going, uh, would be, God, can you just remove all punishment, please? And like, if anything, like, I'll take man, you know, because, no, he knew, actually, God is more merciful than man, mankind is towards one another. He picks God. And in the middle of God breaking out against Israel, and angels coming and literally just, I don't know how it was all happening, but a lot of people had died. I think 70,000 people or something. And David's interceding, saying, God, God, have mercy on Israel because of my sin, etc. And then the prophet comes and says, okay, good. What you need to do right now is buy a field of this one dude. And he runs to this, to this guy and he says, can I, can I purchase a field? Because God has said, I need to offer a sacrifice to him in this place. And he'll stop this this." this action against his people because of my sin. And this guy says, you can have my field. Just take my field. If it's for God and, and you, take my field. And David says this, this thing. He says, I must buy your field because I will not give God a sacrifice that costs me. And so he pays him when he wasn't even, he wasn't meant to pay him. The guy didn't want any money. He says, because David is understanding that something of his material wealth reflects like, it ref it's a reflection of devotion to the Lord. Something of what, of what he's able to part with, he knows, has a direct link to his faith. And it's very important that we, that we understand that money, friends, is a contender for our hearts. Money is a contender for our hearts. And uh, we know this really well, if you look at Scripture, because... Um, there's a lot of verses about it. There are a ton of verses about, uh, about money in the Bible. Now, if you look at like, how, money, how money is a contender for our hearts, if you look in, um, there are 500 verses on prayer, 500 verses on faith, and 2,000 verses on money and possessions. Because why? Because money is a big player in our lives. It motivates us to get up. Think about it, eh? If I don't get up this morning, I don't get to work, and I'm not going to get paid, I'm going to get up. <laughs> uh, what about it inspires us? Like, hey, if I, could, if, if I could get that job, well, then I can earn that, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be dedicated. Uh, what about giving us hope? Well, if I got this, that'll be great, so I'll, I'll be able to give this to my kids. And none of these things are necessarily bad. I'm not saying these are bad things, but it's important to see that who is meant to motivate us? God. Who's meant to inspire us? God. Who's meant to get us up in the morning? God. But what gets us up? Money. What inspires us? Money. Yeah? Are you with me? It's in close, con very close contention. It secures our futures. Okay, my future, uh, how does it look financially? But God says, I've got your future. What about bringing us confidence? I mean, how many men have I, have I led? I've, I'm getting on in years now, 48 years old. I've met so many men over the years and I myself experienced a job loss where suddenly you lose your job and you don't have anything. And now your worth is being challenged. Like, what, where's my worth? So many men will be without jobs or women even. You know, 
without work for a year or two years. And, and, and it's a normal thing because I do think God is, work is a blessing, right? God has given us work as a blessing. Genesis says that. It, work wasn't given after the fall. Work was given before the fall. He says, take the earth and have dominion on it and work with me. Some of us go, work is a curse. When we get to heaven, we're going to do no work. I don't know. Maybe we, who knows? Maybe we will, maybe we will be like threshing some sort of like heavenly harvest up in heaven with the Lord. Just there will be no sweat coming from our brows. <laughs> so I think we're going to be watching TV in heaven the whole time. You know, oh, that's like it, you know, like motocross. Like, I don't know. I mean, but who, who knows? Who knows? Some, we just think, oh, we'll worship the Lord the whole time in heaven. God, when God created earth, yeah, I'm not creating a theology out of this right now, but the important thing is that when God made us, he actually, work was part of it. So I understand there is an aspect of, of fulfillment that comes from that. But ultimately, it's a contender for our contentment being in God. Our identity and worth being in God, not in what we do. And so often, you know, money can contend for our confidence. So if I drive a certain car, I can be more confident than another car. I remember when I was a medical rep, um, I, I, I'd come from a, a job that was not earning what you earn as a medical rep. And I was driving an old Ford Escort about 16, 17 years old. And I'd got this job miraculously. God had given it to me. But my boss had never asked me what car I drive. They gave me the job based on, you know, the interview and God moved their hand, I believe, because <laughs> I jumped the queue of a whole lot of other qualified people, and I was unqualified, and God just showed me I can do anything. And when I got this job that I wasn't qualified for, that I had no experience for, but even in the interview, when the guy had interviewed me and said, um, I see that you've studied theology. I know sometimes we've had people work for us who leave because they got some calling on their lives, like, are you called? <laughs> I was like, mm. it's like, now, nah, you know. Where's my security? Is it in that I need this job and this would be a nice job? Or is my security in God? He, if he wants me to get this, he'll get it. So I said, well, I am actually called, yes. He said, okay, so are you like one of these, I see you've, like, you were a youth pastor in a church, you studied theology and you've got the, you know, you were some of your qualifications and stuff. So I'm like, yeah, yeah. Um, he said, so are you one of these guys that like, if the church calls you, you'll go? I said, yes. He said, so, so when will you go? When, when will you, if I implore you, when will you leave me? I said, I, I honestly don't know. He said, so how many years do you think we'll have you for? I said, I, I really don't know. <laughs> but I said, what I can tell you is right now, I don't think God wants me. Yes, I'm talking to this guy. I mean, he's, he's all fancy pants, you know, national sales manager of Adcock Ingram. It's a big company. He's like, well, uh, yeah, um, I said to him, well, I don't know. Well, I think at the moment God is saying I'm going to be working for a long, longish season. I don't know how long it will be, though. But, yeah, when he, I said, you know what? While I'm working for you, I'll give you my best. Like, I'm going to give you everything. Like, I'm really going to, I'm a great worker. I'm, I'll work hard and I'll apply myself and, you know, I'll be trustworthy. I'll bring a good, good vibe to the team, you know. And I'm, like, selling myself a bit. But he said, okay, so... All right, good. He, that kind of satisfied him for some reason. And then he said, all right, so what about after hours? So I said, well, after hours is good, but I do have community on a Wednesday. Um, and I've got a lot of church stuff in the week. So he said, so will you be ready to travel? So I said, well, how much travel? 
He said, well, you know, you'll have to travel about 10 days a month. I said, okay, cool. Where do, what? He gave me the travel schedule. And then I said, he said, what about outside of those? I said, no, that should be fine. Um, sounds reasonable. I will be missing some key things in the church then. But, And then he said, okay, well, what about, um, what about if we come and visit you? Because our sales guys come down and then they travel with you and we're going to go out for supper. So I said, well, that's fine. It just how often would that be? So he says, well, you know, um, we come down regularly to do sales checks on our, on our sales person, people. And you down here in the Eastern Cape, you fall under this, this Natal and Cape Town branch. And we've got, I said, okay. He said, um, so I said to him, look, look I just want to know, I, I would want to know, does the manager really need to see me after hours? Is it not something we can do before hours? Because I would rather than do it over lunchtime or early in the morning because in the evenings I've got a community to go to. He said, okay, no, good. All right. So I said, because I don't, if it's, if we're just going to go out and have supper, and we literally had this conversation. I'm t- you, I said, if we're going to just go out for supper and it's just for entertainment and for hanging around, I said, then I'd rather do that in work time so that I can be with God's people. See, but some of us cannot have these conversations with people because we're chasing money. So we cave, we cave, we cave to every demand of Pharaoh and his, his system. And we can't have adult conversations with people with more money than us. See, when we're not threatened by money, we can talk like men with each other and challenge the status quo of even where others might be living under a system that's robbing their entire families of their life and stopping them from being active church members. Friends, it's for us to relate to people with a confidence that comes from God. If God, and I'm not talking about being a slacker, and I'm not talking about being somebody who doesn't want to work hard, who's going to laze around at work that your boss has to check over your shoulder every two minutes. No, no, we work hard as believers. We work as into the law. We need to be the best workers that our employers could ever have. Having said that, not those who are pushing the midnight hours till 10 and losing out on their own families. It's got to be those lines drawn. All of this has a context because there's seasons and all of that too, okay? But you're with me. Oh, so about the car. <laughs> so I got the job, <laughs> which was amazing. I thought I left the interview. I'm like, I don't have the job. I definitely don't. And the next minute they phone me, you got the job. So he decides to come visit me, like after my training and everything. And he says, I'm coming down to call with you so I can introduce you to some of the key doctors and the key pharmacists and whatnot. So I'm like, cool. So I get to the airport in my Ford Escort. There's literally one or two of the seats got like holes in the, in the seats. And I mean, I do understand it. I, I get it in business. You know what I mean? You've got to look successful to bring success and all of that. But I mean, it was quite interesting. He got to my car and he was like, he said, is, is this your car? He was like, he was, is this your car? I was like, yeah. He just goes, Go drop, where do you live? He said, I live, blah, blah, blah. he says, I'm going to go get a rented car. I'll pick up in a rented car. <laughs> that was so cool. He said, you're on probation for three months. You're going to drive rented cars for three months. I'm like, yeah, come on, yeah. So I drove rented cars for three months. It was awesome. I could, he said, you, you, the rental company says you can change them every week. I drove every single rental car you could possibly. Every week I just, I need a new car. Thank you, I need a new car. Yeah. <laughs> it was awesome. But, uh, yeah, and in the end, I mean, I was in, only in the company for just over two years before God planted, called us to plant Oxygen Life Church. 
oh man, it was amazing. My salary went from whatever it was, it multiplied by five. It was insane in two years. I mean, I was already earning an okay salary, even though my car was in a mess, but suddenly I was earning a lot. And the day, man, I wasn't going to preach this or teach this, but like this, actually. But maybe it's good for you guys to see us some stories, eh? So what happened is, um, I knew, I mean, I'm in the church, man, and God's stirring in my heart to plant a church. That's why I'm alive. And uh, the day I'm going to resign, like, I'm going to, I've spoken to the elders. The elders have confirmed it. They say, it's time, you, you can go when you need to go. You just need to resign now. I'm like, keep it hush hush because my company needs to know first. The day I'm going to resign, I'm traveling with my, my regional sales manager. And the guys have got to know me over time. And I do, I do like cars. I mean, you know, I've got an interesting cars. I can never get the cars that I really want to get, but I mean, I like cars. <laughs> anyway, but um, so I'm driving and, and a BMW, really nice BM comes driving past. And I had a Toyota Corolla, just for what it's worth. Just saying, um, nice little 1.6, great little vehicle. And he, uh, as the car comes past, he says, ah, nice car. I said, yeah, I like those BMs. They're, they're really nice. He says, um, yeah, check you. You like cars, you know. Yeah, he says, Next year, you'll be driving one of those. Now, this day, I'm meant to be resigning. I'm meant to be telling him I'm no longer work, I'm resigning to plant a church. So he says, I said, what do you mean? He says, oh, well, we've, we've identified you for, uh, to be a regional sales manager. You're actually going to take my job. I'm going to be moving to somebody else. I'm like, wow. He says, and your salary, whatever you're earning now, don't worry. You'll be able to afford one of those because it's going to go. And I, I was already super, like, provided for <laughs> flash. I was like, oh, my word. The figures he was giving me was like, it would transform my life. It would take me to a whole new level. It would put me in a whole different bracket and space of living. It would change a lot. The house I would buy, the car I'd buy, the amount I would give. And suddenly I'm thinking, well, maybe, maybe the Lord wants me to be in business for a bit longer so I can sow into the church. You know, I can, I'll be a blessing. I'll, oh, man. And, it, and the Lord had already, how's this for our hearts, eh? I'll be honest, it was a genuine temptation. I'll be, uh, even though God had confirmed prophetically that I should plant Oxygen Life Church about five or six times miraculously, if I tell you those stories, you'll be blown away. That night, I telephoned Ange, I couldn't resign, I couldn't, I just couldn't do it. Like, this is the offer, like, this is what it would be, like, I, you know, this would be amazing. And uh, I wake up the next morning, I just say, Lord, I'm yours. I believe you've spoken for me to lead this church. But what this will mean is resigning from work means my salary ends. And the church had, that we were planting out of had said to me, they had said to me, work out your absolute bare minimum budget, like literally with no frills and spills that will not even pay everything because they said there's a faith element here. And I'd given them this, this super low thing. They said, we'll pay that for you for six months. And that was what I was going to get. And uh, But I said, Lord... I'm just asking you to confirm one more time. God, I know you've confirmed it enough. I'm sorry, but I just need you to just one more time because this is good. <laughs> you know, this is like, that's, I think this is even you potentially <laughs> delaying the church plant till a later stage. And that morning, I go to my first doctor, St. Dom's Hospital in East London, and I'm st- I see the first few doctors in, in ICU and, and casualty and whatnot. I come out. At 7.45, my phone rings, and it's a guy, no one in the church knew that I was planting. 
This guy, this businessman phones, says, phones me and says, Brad, um, I was thinking about you this morning. I woke up and I couldn't get you off of my heart. And uh, when are you planting that church that you, that you feel called to plant? Now, nobody knew. I said, well, you know, sometime soon. You know, I don't know. The Lord will still make it clear <laughs> you know, exactly when. He says, well, I just want you to know, God has said to me, I must tell you, you must not worry about money. And this guy wasn't even a close friend and didn't know anything. I was like, oh, yeah? He says, I want you to know, God's provided for me in amazing ways. My business is taking off. And whenever you need to plant this church, phone me up because I'll provide whatever you are lacking. I was like, thanks, my brother. That's amazing. I appreciate that phone call. Thank you, thank you. Amen. I put on the phone and I just started rejoicing in the street. In the street, I just lifted up my hands and I shouted, thank you, Jesus. But guess what? I'll be honest with you. It's not thank you, Jesus, for the money I'm going to get from this guy. It's thank you, Jesus, that you're with me. Thank you, Jesus, that you're with me. You see me. Oh, God, you know my needs. And, it, you know, honestly, I'll tell you this, guys. I never, ever, ever phoned that man for money. I never asked him for a cent. It's not for me to hold him accountable for what he said to me. What mattered is my God had spoken into my heart that he would provide. To be honest with you, that guy was a terrible giver. <laughs> there were at least, at least three occasions where he would phone me. I, I don't, I've never had anybody do this to me before. Only him. Phone me. Hey, uh, Pastor, or well, not Pastor. Hey, Brad, listen, I just want you to know, I'm sure you would have noticed, but my tithe is late. You know, I'm just running into some issues. I said, well, please don't phone me. You're not accountable to me. I'm not interested in your money. I'm actually in your heart, and you've been missing communities. And, you know, what about your life? In the life of the church, you're not giving of yourself. Like, I'm not, don't worry about the money. God's got me sorted. See, when we. When we as God's children are serving money rather than God, we can't even have those frank discussions. When we're serving God rather than money, we're able to say to the guy, which I did the one day, I went to go see him to do some discipleship, and uh, I was sitting in his coffee shop that he had opened over and above a whole bunch of other businesses, and I was trying to get, go deeper with him, and his shutter door slammed down, one of those metal shutter doors, um, you know, that they have in industrial businesses. They had that in their coffee shop because it was part of a massive, bigger business and the coffee shop was in the front entrance. And the worker was opening, one of the waitresses, uh, um, uh, packers, sorry, was opening the, 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 the door and the chain slipped out of their hands and for some reason didn't have a, a safety lock type thing and the door came slamming down and it just made a massive, massive noise and gave all of us a fright of our lives, you know, and he got up and he tuned this person. What do you think you're doing? Are you an imbecile or something? He started like, what are you you're upsetting our coffee shop? Can't you contradict it? And he sat down and then tried to have a normal conversation. I said to him, listen, my bad. <laughs> just want to talk to you about what I've just observed. Like, how you just spoken to that person? As a representative, you're a brother in the Lord. You're a son of God. Do you know how you've just spoken to that person? Is totally just... Dem so demeaning. Can you think of how they will? And we went, see, if I was a prisoner to money, I'd be saying, ah, turn a blind eye, you know what I mean? This is the, the so-called, you know, key funder of the ministry. As leaders, the Bible says, as elders, 
says we must not be lovers of money. I can't be a lover of money. Otherwise, I can't lead you. I can't lead you in the things of God. As a people of God, we've got to be free from the love of money. We've got to be those who, who are saying, my contentment doesn't come from there. My worth doesn't come from there. My security doesn't come from there. It comes from the Lord. The opportunities that the Lord has for me will come from His hand. Let me say this, the lazy amongst us, don't take that and do with it whatever you want to do with it to make you work less. We call to work hard and well before the Lord and honor our bosses. But know this, I mean, how often, and I do, the Lord, oh man, oh man, financial pressure is hard. It's hard. It's really tough. And things are tough at the moment, man. It's hard. ESCOM load shedding, profits going down with the jolly generator going all day, every, every couple of hours, eating away at the profits. It's tough. And it can so easy just, you have the generator going, kick starting in your business, and you just, your heart's just going, there goes the grands. Like the burger was getting sold for 50 bucks. I was making 20, now I'm making 10. And your heart just, but friends, I, I, God knows. I don't want to stand here callous in any way, but really God knows. He's with you in the pain, man. But you know, friends, and I, I, the worship this morning was sweet before the Lord. It's like we put aside everything and we just got into the presence of God. We detached ourselves from the mood that hangs over us through the financial and economic woes. And that's who we are as a people of God. We attach our joy, we attach our happiness to God. There's realities, and we face those realities. But it's so important as the church that through everything, in everything, we make sure that our joy is attached to the Lord, that people can see within us a hope, a hope that rises in the muck. See, what we're learning in this country, and praise God for it. You know, I sat opposite a guy in Texas, a pastor of a church in Texas a couple of years ago, and it was quite profound. He said to me, we have everything in our, people in our church have everything. You name it materially, they've got it. But he, I said, what are you seeing in the church in South Africa? This was, a, he's not part of a 412 church. He said, what I'm seeing is a people that are free of material stuff, much freer than the church in the States. He says, you know what us pastors have begun to do now? We're praying that people will experience calamity so that they can call on the Lord because they don't have a need for God. They don't have a desperation for the Lord. And they're so caught up with earthly things that they're not seeing the prize, the pearl of great price. I was like, wow. See, friends, I just, God wants us to look up and see even our situation around us is an opportunity for us to rise, to rise in praise, to rise in worship, to thank God for the pains, for the trials that we might be going through. It's our blessing, our opportunity to say thank you, Lord, in spite of all we're facing. Come on, I'm, I'm, amen. It's, 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 it's for us. <laughs> it's our honor. It's our honor to praise Him. It's our honor to reflect joy in the face of suffering. And I do believe, obviously, there's some who are suffering, even in this congregation, way, way worse than others. And there's different degrees of that. And I can't even begin. You know, 
But when we free, I'll tell you what, my housekeeper, this Lulana is her name. She's, she's just an incredible human being. I've got a whole bunch of points. I'm never, ever going to get there. But the Bible says, be, make sure that you're free of the love of money, right? It says, in, in Timothy, it says, command those who are rich among you to be rich in good deeds. Storing, therefore, storing up for, uh, treasures for themselves in heaven. Our deeds store up wealth in heaven. And it says, command those rich among you to be willing to share and thus building up for themselves an inheritance. Like, as we share our financial possessions, friends, or our finances or our possessions, we actually build up a treasure in heaven. You know that. We all know that, right? And uh, it's so important that we, uh, I was talking about my, my housekeeper, one of the ways we, we said ourselves free from the love of money is to actually rejoice in other people's successes. You know that. Like when you see somebody else driving the new car, what, do you, what does your heart do? It's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> look at them. Oh, in these economic times, they can do that. Oh, look at this guy's shoes. Where the heck did he get these from? <laughs> I, know you, I know you're all wanting these shoes. <laughs> I'm joking. I really like them, but anyway. I better stop. I always say, I got these half price. I got them. Yeah, always like justifying purchases. But we're going to live free of that stuff, man. The reality is, you have to celebrate people's financial successes. What does somebody else's success do in you? If it sparks envy, or if it sparks jealousy, if it sparks even in yourself, a reflection on yourself or even looking at them differently, there's something amiss in our hearts. Our own hearts have in that place not been settled in the Lord and even in what He has for us and what He's given us. The stations in life that we're in, do we believe that our lives have truly been placed in the Lord's hands or not? You see, because where our minds go in those moments tell us what our theology, what our belief really is. If your God is a Father that knows every hair that is on your head or off your head, then surely, surely He knows the situation you're in. And either you exercise an attitude that falls into line with the theology that says your God is your God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, can break you out of poverty like that, or you come, you know, so, or you battle with the Lord, cave into the flesh, and become this person who's constantly wrestling with God and never satisfied, always contending and asking, Why me, Lord? No worship songs come, no new spiritual songs can come from you because you've blocked God with a lack of faith and a lack of trust. You've caused a bronze ceiling over your head by putting unbelief as your God. You've given way in your heart to a God of mammon. You've tied your security and worth and your self-confidence to mammon, to the money. For those of you who don't know what mammon is, it's money with a spirit behind it. And God wants us to be free of that. Now look back to my housekeeper. Thank you, Lord. Lulama. You know, she's incredible. Now, she lives in the township. We've been to her house. We've had supper in her house. We've had, you know, we've helped her. 
to do certain things in her house to make it, uh, did I say shack? It's not a shack. Eh? She lives in a proper house, but I mean, like really simple. And we've done our best. What the government is asking us to pay her, we're paying at least double, I think nearly three times what the government's telling us we can pay our housekeepers. We're paying her a lot more. We're trying to honor her really, really well. And that's just another story, by the way. Friends, we've got to look at what we're paying people. We've got to look at, really? Are we, look, I can't, I can't pay her. I'm paying her to the absolute max, but I'm paying her. What I know before the Lord is that, I mean, I, either we would not have her because I can't afford to have her, or we've got to have her to the max of what I can possibly afford. Same with my gardener. What do you pay your gardeners, your housekeepers? Is it the bare minimum of what the government has asked? Ask yourself what they need to do to pay electricity or their bills and say, I mean, we can't solve all the problems, but ask yourself, friend. And just say, Lord, for what I can account for, let me have the discussion. Say, I'll even just have you one week to pay you the wage that you're due. Anyway, that's another story. Is this guy preaching socialism? Is he communist? What's this guy's story? Huh? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, we're like, we just, as a church, we've got to ask these questions. James says to believers, your wages cry out against you before the Lord. What are we paying? The sweepers, the cleaners, what are we paying them? Anyway, that's another question for us to ask. And I know you get into bigger questions around economy, and I've had lots of them with business owners, and it's, it is. But I ask the questions. Don't just accept the status quo of the society around us, friends. Change, monetary, economic change happens through the church, surrendering themselves to God in every area. Amen. So my housekeeper, <laughs> she'll come to me. Now, she's got stuff, and, that, but, and she's, but she'll say, Daddy, she calls me Daddy, even though she's just turned 60 and I'm 48. It's like, Daddy, when are you going to get a new car? She doesn't have a car. She will never be able to afford a car. When are you going to get a new car? I said, Lulama, Daddy's not getting a new car at the moment. There's not money for us to get a new car right now. Daddy, you need to get a new car. It's getting too old. And then the ends up, I come home, it's not a, you know, a new car for me, I come home with this new car, and she is so happy, she comes out, she's, oh, daddy, a new car, oh, daddy, and she gives a hug, oh, she's walking around the car, looking at this thing, friends, do we do that for people in the church community around us, oh, man, you got a new job, that's awesome, you got a new car, that's amazing, Look at this thing. Let me see how fast it's going. What can this thing do? You know, or, <laughs> uh, wow, you got some new clothes. It's amazing. Thank you, man. Thank you, Lord. Eh? This is so great. We celebrate with you. Friends, this stuff can set the atmosphere in our churches. When we honor one person being blessed, and we honor how God has chosen, but when we sit with resentment in our hearts and finger pointing, it's of the devil, it's demonic. Each person will account to themselves before God in, the area, in this area as well. Huh? And then we, we do encourage each other and challenge each other. But when the grace of God falls upon us, friends, we see that the Lord opens hands. For David, what happens is he said to the guys in 1 Chronicles 29, he says, we're going to build a temple for the Lord, a house for the Lord. 
Everybody, we're going to bring good stuff. And he, we're going to bring stuff for the building of this temple. And then he says, it's going to start with me. And David takes gold and silver. It says bronze without, you can't weigh the amount of bronze that he was giving. I mean, and silver. And he brings stuff to the house. And he leads by example because he just says, I want, he says it in 1 Chronicles 29, God's house to be more glorious, to be so glorious, the most glorious thing on the planet that all the nations will know that our God is God. And there's like nothing that David wants to spare in order that God's house is built. And then what happens is the people come and they say, yes, we see this. He says, David says, let all who want to give willingly come and bring their offerings. And the people came and gave and gave and gave. That eventually they had to say, stop, stop. Like that's enough. It's quite amazing, eh? Um, oh, where was I going with this now? David and people giving. It's a sign, man. It's a sign of our hearts and, and us wanting to just release. And, and what happens in, 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 in uh, Acts chapter, chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit comes in the 120, Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking bread, to prayer. And it says, and everyone had everything in common and shared all their possessions with one another. No one had need. Why? Because when the Holy Spirit grabs a hold of you, you see that glory of heaven, you start to go, ah, I can, I, I've got, I've got the, the great, the great treasure, you know, I've got, I've got Jesus. Hebrews 13 says, keep your lives free from the love of money, and he said, and be content with what you have, and then he says this, keep your life free from the money, love of money, and be content with what you have. Thank you, you guys are amazing, because you can see I'm not on my notes at all. <laughs> he says, yo, come on. Can you see that? Why must you keep your lives free? How, how do you be content? Do you see that beautiful little three-letter word? It says for. For he has said. Your reason, your reason for being free, your reason for being free is because he has said, never will I leave you or forsake you. Keep your lives free because in the Lord, I just feel like doing this. It's like, yeah. I'm bad at doing, uh, turning around. I'm, I'm not even joking. I'm serious. I'm actually very bad at circles. But I, I can't spin around quickly. All those rides at the fun fairs, I can't do them. If anything's spinning around, I'm like out. I'm a wussy with that stuff. But how's that? I just feel like spinning around. It's like when the Lord, when the Lord reveals to you in Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell on them, what was it that caused them to open up their hands without necessarily being commanded to do that? It was the contentedness they felt, the worth they felt, the closeness of God, the fullness of meaning, purpose had entered into them. And there was now, it's like, okay, you can release. Oh, God, thank you, Lord. Friends, yeah, there's so many instructions about finance. 1 Timothy 6 says that they are, that riches are uncertain. 1 Timothy, uh, the, the parable of the sower says that it's actually the worries of the world, deceitfulness of wealth chokes the seed of the kingdom. Wealth is deceitful. Money's a moving target. You just have and you've got to have more. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income 
This is also vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? <laughs> the one guy, writer in the Proverbs says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion. Why? Lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be in want and steal and profane the name of the Lord. He's like, Lord, just let me be content. So I, I don't know where on earth to try and land this message of mine now. Um, this is very systematic normally. But I feel like the Lord wants a heart response from us. To just acknowledge, you know, how do we feel when we even get talking about money? If it's that part of our lives, such a big part of our lives, I mean, we really should be comfortable that God would actually challenge us in this thing. I mean, if this is a no-go area, then you must know. It's something the Lord needs to touch. If you respond negatively about things like this. Uh, I've got a question for us. I mean, uh, just one statement. And that is, when, how do we take charge over money? My message was going to be called take charge, taking charge over money. <laughs> but how do we make sure that it's under our feet and not we're under its foot? And we start with the tithe. And I'm not, I'm not, cannot go into the tithe teaching now, but we start by saying, Lord, here is the first fruits. The first portion of what I have belongs to you, Lord. And then you begin to trust the Lord. Well, you trust the Lord by, by doing that, and then you trust him to sanctify the rest. And I really want to urge you and stir you up in God today that that if you have forsaken the tithe, that you take charge of the money again. Say, Lord, I'm, I put my hope in you. I'm putting an anchor in the ground or a stake in the ground. And I'm starting today again by saying, Lord, my faith and my hope is in you economically. Meet with your elder. Meet with your deacon. Tell them what your situation is. Let them know what you're going, what, what's going on. You've got to start somewhere. And I believe the Lord today would say, he's looking at your heart going, I don't want money to be in contention with me. Like I want to be Lord of your life. 